Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Years ago, before I started my health journey, I couldn't go long without a Diet Coke. When I learned about its ingredients, I searched for a better choice option. I didn't like any of the healthier sodas out there until I found Olipop. Olipop is a new kind of soda. It tastes just like the sodas I grew up with, but unlike others that are full of sugar, corn syrup, and artificial ingredients like aspartame, Olipop is made with natural ingredients that are actually good for you. They use functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit digestive health. They have delicious nostalgic flavors like vintage cola, classic root beer, my favorite, orange squeeze, cherry vanilla, strawberry vanilla, classic grape, and their newest flavor, Tropical Punch. For 20% off plus free shipping, go to drinkolipop.com backslash justingredients or use code justingredients at checkout to claim this deal. That's drinkolipop.com slash justingredients. Dr. Chen is a UK double board certified MD in internal medicine and family practice with 15 years of clinical experience. She now lives in California with her family and has ditched her prescription pad to instead help clients by identifying and addressing the root causes of health issues. As a conventionally trained doctor, she was taught to prescribe a pill for every ill. That's how she practiced until her daughter was hospitalized and tube fed at just eight weeks old. This propelled her to find answers, and that's how the world of nutrition, environmental, and lifestyle medicine opened up for her. She now coaches clients back to health using an integrative medicine approach and is passionate about sharing these important missing links in healthcare on social media and her blog. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I am really excited for my guest. It is Dr. Viv, and she and I have become friends through social media. I started following her, then I think she started following me or vice versa, and we've just become friends. She has helped me write posts. I look to her for a lot of advice. She is an amazing doctor on social media, and so I am really excited to have her today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Viv. Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. You're such an inspiration to me. I love all your work. So it's such an honor to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time to be here. And like I said, I'm really excited to talk to you. Will you tell my listeners just a little bit about your background, maybe why you got started in the medical field, why you started social media, just anything about you? Yes, yes definitely. Um, so I grew up in Taiwan um, and I moved to to the UK when I was 13 years old. I always wanted to be a doctor. So I went to medical school, went through the traditional conventional training, and um, I was board certified in the UK in both family practice and also internal medicine. But, you know, halfway through medical training, so kind of around when I graduated, I started to really not feel good. So I had severe fatigue, brain fog, anxiety, I just couldn't sleep anymore. I had insomnia, anxious, and no doctor could help me. And I couldn't find answers for myself. And in fact, they ran lots of labs and told me everything was normal. So kind of started to make me feel like it was all in my head. So I put up with all these symptoms for years and years until I had my daughter. So she had to be hospitalized when she was only eight weeks old. 
um, because she completely stopped feeding and nobody could figure out why. And with all that medical training behind me, I couldn't figure out. Wow. So I, I feel like I completely failed her as a mom and as a doctor. So in order to keep her alive, they had to put a feeding tube through her nose into her stomach to feed her. And that was the moment I realized that you know, I didn't have all the answers from medical school and I had to find answers to save her life. You know, she, out of everyone I've helped, she was the one I help, wanted to help the most right. in the world. So I dived into the research. I realized, you know, there was a paper from 1983 describing her exact symptoms, feed aversion, and linking it to cow's milk protein allergy. So I printed off the paper, convinced her pediatric team to switch her milk to this hypoallergenic formula. And after a week, she, she was completely better. Oh, wow. So that kind of made me realize, oh, wow, if I had missed this paper, what else have I missed at medical school? What else did I not learn? And were there things that I could have done for my patients that I didn't do before? But anyway, my priority was her at the time. So I focused on her and kind of trying to figure out why she developed this really rare form of allergy because neither my husband or I had allergies. Um, and that was when like the whole world of environmental medicine and lifestyle medicine and nutrition came up for me. There's so much research in there. It's not, there's not a lot of people think it's woo woo. It's not, it's all there, published studies. It's just that doctors don't have the time to read it. They can follow this conventional training, which is kind of like, you know, pill for every ill. And, and you know, I'm not saying that it's not necessary. I think that that's a very important part of healthcare and can be life-saving, but there is so much more to health than just pills. Uh, and, you know, that's when I, I realized I had to retrain myself. So I took courses, I went to seminars, I went to conferences, and really kind of relearned health again over years and years. And six years ago, we had an opportunity to move to America from the UK. So my husband is American and he really missed California. So that was kind of my opportunity to clear my state slate, ditch my prescription pad, and you know really pursue this passion of mine to get to root causes of health issues. And so that's what I do now. Um, I do education online. I coach clients. I deliberately didn't get licensed here because I wanted to, you know, look at all these integrative factors uh, that play into health and help people get to the root rather than just prescribe pills. Because, you know, in 15 minute appointments, that's all I could do. And it just didn't feel rewarding enough for me. So now I coach cl clients. I teach online. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a whirlwind to say the least. That is an incredible journey, but I love that you took something hard. I find this in so many of my guests that come on here. They have had a hard health issue, couldn't find the answers and had to go find the answers themselves. And then was, or were like awakened to this new type of medicine that just isn't taught in medical school. Right. Like you said, they just don't have the time. And so I love though that you've right. taken this passion of yours and help other people now. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I would say a lot of conventional medical doctors who have opened their eyes like me have also had their own health struggles. And that's how you kind of wake up because without that pain, you really, you know, if you're comfortable just doing status quo, you never kind of branch out to something new. 
Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Right. Well, and I think more and more are learning about all the alternative types of things out there. So you do too. You, you've turned your um, pain into such amazing platform to help other people as well. Well, thank you. I hope. I want mental illness to not be something that we're embarrassed to talk about or shamed to talk about. And I hope that that's what, you yeah, know, I'm doing. That. And I hope doctors will join that and help talk about mental illness as well. But today, I really want to talk to you about mitochondrial health because you talk about mitochondria quite often on your page. And I know I asked my own kids the other day, like what they knew about that, and they didn't know very much. And so I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of their mitochondria. So I'm really excited to talk the basics with you today. So can we start at the very beginning and just explain to the listeners what the mitochondria is and its role in our body. Of course. Uh, and thank you for shedding light on this because through my years of research, I've now come to realize that at the root of all roots is the mitochondria. And so it's super, super important to understand this. So I know you, you know a lot about mitochondria, but for your listeners, if you think back to the high school biology days, Mitochondria is like the powerhouse inside of our cells. So think of a flashlight, right? The batteries inside that flashlight that produce the light, that's the mitochondria. It produces energy from the food that we eat so that the cells can function. So when the battery is low in that flashlight, the light gets dimmer. And then when the battery is let out, the, the light completely goes out. And that's what happens in your cells when mitochondria doesn't work. So the energy is reduced, the cell cannot function, and we have mitochondria in every cell in our body. There's an exception, red blood cells don't have mitochondria, but other than that, every single cell in our bodies have mitochondria. And so if your mitochondria doesn't work properly and it's in sitting in the brain, then you have symptoms of brain fog or memory issues. And if you have uh, that, if that, mitochondria is sitting in the muscle, then you have muscle weakness or you can't run as fast. If it's sitting in your liver, you can't detoxify properly. And, you know, this diagnosis of adrenal fatigue, which is so popular nowadays, that's actually in, in the mitochondria, right? Mm -hmm. Because where is your cortisol, this hormone that gives us energy comes from? It's made in the mitochondria. And so if you, you know, if you just settle for this diagnosis of adrenal fatigue and you're not looking to why your adrenal is not working properly and it's you know down to that root cause of mitochondria not working properly then you know a lot of the time people are just taking band-aids again wow okay so every cell except our red blood cells have this mitochondria it's the energy basically for our cells so if our cells aren't working properly can that affect any organ of the body any system of the body yes. Yes. And that's why the symptoms can be so widespread. It can be fatigue. It can be brain fog. It can be hormone issues. It can be gut issues. Um, it really depends where the weak link is as to what your symptoms then become. So the root is the same. It's kind of like, you know, if you think of soil that's deficient in a nutrient, if you put different plants into that soil, every plant will show different symptoms, right? Some might be, you know, yellow spots on the leaf and then another one doesn't flower so the outward symptoms are different but the root cause is the same so that's why i'm so passionate about getting to the root because when we really look at and fix the root then 
a lot of symptoms can disappear all at once. That's the magic. So it sort of sounds to me that this mitochondria could be the root cause of a lot of issues. Yes, I, I believe so. And there is a growing body of research linking mitochondria dysfunction to things like so cognitive declines of brain health, linking it to diabetes, insulin resistance, obesity, detoxifications, fertility issues, you name it. It's, mitochondria is in every cell. And so it can affect every function in our bodies. And so if you have any symptoms, I would think, you know, am I supporting my mitochondria? Is my mitochondria working properly? And by the way, mitochondria doesn't just produce energy. That's what we kind of know from, you know, a long, long time ago. But more recently, there's emerging research showing that it does, it has other functions as well. And one of the most important functions that it does is it's kind of like the sensor in our body. It's like the thermostat that detects what's going on in the, in our environment. Um, and it can pick up if there's a danger, if there's a threat to our health, it picks it up and thinks, okay, um, there's a danger signal here. What do we do? Do I need to activate the immune system? Do I need to shut down energy production to protect ourselves? So if you think about the last time you felt sick, you know, you probably felt tired, right? Like really sluggish, mm -hmm. want to go to bed. That's actually a normal response orchestrated by your mitochondria because the mitochondria has picked up, oh, you have a pathogen in your body. We're under attack. Let me shut down energy production so this virus or this pathogen cannot steal our energy. This is kind of like a way to shut down the virus reproducing in our bodies. And secondly, it shuts down energy production so, so that we go to bed, so that we go and rest, which then it can enhance our immune system. Because if when we're sick and we go, you know, run five miles, that's actually not good for our immune system. So if the body is so intelligent, there's all these innate systems in place. And we think these symptoms are like the body making mistakes. There is no mistakes here. The body's doing exactly what it's designed to do. And, you know, we just need to follow its guidance. The body is so miraculous. So I know my listeners yes. are wondering, okay, I have brain fog or I am tired all the time or I deal with hormonal issues, adrenal issues, and I know they're wondering, well, how do I know if it's the mitochondria? Are there tests or do I just have to assume it? Yeah, so that's a great question because this, kind of, this research is emerging and there is no kind of um, standardized lab yet. So there are lots of testing they can do in research labs, for example, that measures ATP, but this is not translated into clinical medicine yet. I think we will see that in time, but so far it's kind of, you know, I assess patients and clients on their clinical symptoms, but when I need to run a lab, sometimes I use a test called organic acids test. Um, this measures various metabolites in our body. So mitochondria produces these metabolites. So sometimes we can use these as telltale signs, but it's not foolproof. It's not 100% accurate. It's useful in cer certain circumstances, but you know, a lot of the time it's just kind of clinical intuition and listening to your body. And you know, as we mentioned earlier, mitochondria is found in every cell in the body. So if you have symptoms, the likelihood is that you know, something has affected it. I mean, it's not the only thing in health and health is never just one thing, right? Right. Lots of things contributing, but mitochondria is usually 
being affected. Okay, that's good to know. So really, the listener needs to be educated on maybe what affects mitochondria so that they can empower themselves with this knowledge. Let's actually talk about mitochondria then and the things that affect it negatively. And then we'll talk about the things that Mm -hmm. affect it positively. So I'm assuming that environmental toxins play a role in affecting it negatively, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, they, they are sensors, right? They're sensing things in our, in our environment that's not good for us. And one of the things it can sense is the is environmental toxins. And, and a lot of environmental toxins can affect the mitochondria directly. So they actually poison the enzymes inside the mitochondria. So enzymes are like, they're like kind of the factories that produce things for us. They, they're the workers. So when those are poisoned, you can't, the mitochondria cannot work. Um, and also by triggering inflammation, the mitochondria is very sensitive to inflammation. And so that can downregulate mitochondria function as well. So environmental toxins, things like mercury, lead, phthalates, and I know you talk about phthalates a lot, and it's so important what you're teaching your audience, because, you know, in petri dish studies, we found that phthalates can reduce ATP production from cells by about 20%. That's Wow, that is big. That's just one. (laughs) Right. And if you imagine we're exposed to like hundreds of other things at the same time, imagine the cumulative effects of that on our mitochondria. And one of the the more kind of um, emerging toxins that I'm seeing affecting people's health and energy levels is mold toxins. Mm. So this is not something I learned at medical school at all. I mean, I treated mold, but like invasive aspergillosis that, you know, like in their lungs, but not kind of chronic low grade mold exposure from homes, from our environment. And it's, it's becoming more and more on doctor's radars now, thankfully, but yeah, that's another toxin that a lot of people are not thinking about that can affect our mitochondria. So environmental toxins is huge. And, you know, what you're teaching what you're sharing with your audience is great for reducing the exposure and helping the mitochondria. And other than that, there's the other thing. So another thing you talk about a lot is food, right? Inflammatory foods like refined sugar. I love that you talk about, you know, how do we reduce refined sugar? Well, refined sugar is one of those things that can really damage our mitochondria. So high blood sugar levels or the fluctuations in blood sugar. you know, that can cause inflammation. Inflammation can then damage our mitochondria. So refined sugars, inflammatory oils, because inside the mitochondria, there are these two membranes. And the way ATP energy is generated is by a, a current through those membranes. Now, if you're eating unhealthy inflammatory fats, those membranes, they're made up of fats, right? So then whatever's in your diet goes into the mitochondria. Now you can't generate that gradient to generate ATP. Mm. And so that's why inflammatory oils can be, you know, make you tired, make you sluggish is through that mechanism. So, you know, if you can just take a step to reduce ultra processed foods, then, you know, that's a step to reduce inflammatory oils, refined sugars. Um, sleep is huge. Before you go yeah, on to sorry. sleep, can I ask you something? Because I know people are going to wonder what ATP is and how that is related to the mitochondria. So will you tell them what that is? Yes, I love that. 
Um, so ATP is um, the currency that the mitochondria produces. That's energy, basically, is the energy currency. So, you know, imagine if a liver has to detoxify, it uses ATP. Brain has to think, it uses ATP. It's the currency that's produced by mitochondria from our food. So the mitochondria takes carbs, fat, protein, and turns it into ATP for us. And so then that's why you're saying these inflammatory oils or sugars um, can reduce the production of this ATP. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Perfect. I just wanted the listeners to know, cause I know some of them would ask me. So thank you for explaining yes. that. So now tell me about sleep, how that affects the mitochondria. Yeah. So sleep, it's very interesting because a lot of people think, oh, melatonin is just a sleep hormone, right? It helps us go to sleep. But Actually, research has now shown that melatonin is kind of like the guardian angel of our mitochondria. It really mm. protects our mitochondria and helps the mitochondria repair while we're sleeping. And melatonin is released when we go into deep restorative sleep. So, you know, this kind of sleep only happens when our body is naturally lulled into sleep. If you're taking sleeping tablets or things like that, the, the deep sleep is reduced. And if you're not sleeping enough, then there's not enough melatonin to repair the damage from the stresses that's damaging the mitochondria during the day. And so when you wake up in the morning, the, the mitochondria now has to deal with stresses again that you're meeting throughout the day without any um, repair. So think about it like you know a, a sink that's blocked, right? So if the water coming in from the faucet is the stresses, well, the mitochondria, the, the sleep and melatonin helps clear that, the water. And so hopefully you don't get that overflow. But if you're not sleeping, you're cogging that drain. So the water coming in can't leave the sink and you start to get this buildup. And over time, that sink can overflow. And, you know, it's very interesting. A lot of people blame their symptoms on aging, like, oh, my joints hurt because I'm getting old or I'm tired because I'm getting old. A lot of that is because of that sink is not being drained and is damaging our mitochondria so that with every decade, studies have shown that the average person loses 10% of the mitochondria function. Wow. So if you imagine a 70-year-old has, you know, has reduced their mitochondria function by 70%. Wow. Right. And, and that's why you feel tired all the time. And that's why your brain doesn't work as well. And that's why, you know, your, your cuts and bruises or your joints don't repair as fast. That is so fascinating. And I had never heard melatonin be called the guardian angel of the mitochondria. And I actually really <laughs> like that analogy, but let's tell the listeners because you can increase your melatonin, correct? Yes, you can by which, sleeping. Which then would help your uh, mitochondria. Yes. So there's a lot of melatonin supplements on the market, and I would caution listeners against that. Um, and here's why. Our, every hormone in our body, and the melatonin is a hormone, every hormone in our body has a natural feedback mechanism, right? So when the pituitary gland produces and releases melatonin, which is the gland in our brain, releases melatonin, it's picked up by our body, um, and it sends a loop back, a message back, to the brain to say, okay, we've got enough, stop. But if you're taking exogenous supplemental melatonin, you're interfering with that feedback loop. I'm not saying never take it, right? Because sometimes we need to, you know, I take that when I travel. So right. I'm, it's not a hundred percent no, no, but 
if you start to take it on a regular basis daily, you know, for months and months, the body starts to adapt to that and start to think, okay, well, there's a lot of melatonin. Uh, I don't need to produce any. And you, your body starts to downregulate natural. And the, it's the natural melatonin production that we want because that is what's been shown to be beneficial. And one of the main things you can do to help your, your body produce more melatonin is to observe light. So melatonin production goes by what's called a circadian rhythm, which is a, a cycle, a rhythm inside our bodies, and it's determined by light. And that's why we get jet lag, right? Because where our body is adjusted to the light cycle where we live, and then we, when we move to a different place, that light cycle is different. We get thrown off and we feel sluggish. But light first thing in the morning shuts down melatonin production and tells the body when to start producing it later on in the day. When you don't expose your eyes to light first thing in the morning, you're not giving your body that signal to produce it later on because the melatonin production is not shut down properly. And then later on in the day, lack of light, so darkness, stimulates melatonin production because it starts to ramp down cortisol Cortisol is the stress hormones, the hormone that gives us energy and makes us awake in a day. And that is reduced by darkness and we get an increase in melatonin. That's when, when we feel sleepy. And a lot of people can't sleep because they, are, they don't have this cycle enforced because they're not exposed to enough light during the day. And at night, they're exposed to artificial light, blue light, when they shouldn't be. Um, so that's like a really key step to getting more melatonin production naturally in your bodies. I was hoping you were going to touch upon that. If not, I was going to ask you because light is a huge factor in melatonin. So at night, it's the blue light then from all of our devices causing some melatonin issues, correct? Yes, yes. And studies from Harvard have shown that if you're exposed to blue light, it pushes back your melatonin production and sleep by, you know, an hour per, I can't remember exactly how much exposure, but it, it can, it pushes back your melatonin production. By the way, deep sleep comes in during the earlier part of the night. So if you're pushing back your sleep, you're reducing your deep sleep and melatonin production. So interesting because sleep does so many amazing things, but sometimes we forget about that mitochondria is repairing during our sleep as well. And that's another important factor of sleep. Yes. Okay, so I, my listeners, I know, love their phones and love Instagram and things at night. So do blue light glasses help? Yes, they can help. And I think you can, uh, you, if you're on the laptop, you can download these apps. I think Fflux is one of them that, you know, puts the screen into more like red, uh, orangey hues. Red light hasn't shown, been shown to not affect our circadian rhythm as much as blue light. So, you know, if you want, if you can switch your screens, if you need to use it to that red and orange hue, that helps. And then uh, blue blocking glasses um, can also help. Okay, that's good to know. So I am curious to ask you about a few other things that affect mitochondrial health, because um, something that I've been working on in my life over this past year is managing my stress. So I'm curious how stress affects the mitochondria. I love that. Yeah, so stress, people forget that our mind is connected to our bodies, right? <laughs> and what, what we're thinking in our brain and what we're feeling can actually generate real physiological responses in our bodies. So when we are feeling stress, 
there are these chemical messengers called cytokines that travel from the brain to the rest of the body. And it sends out a signal to the body like, hey, we're under threat. And, you know, the brain doesn't know whether it's stress from money, stress from your job, or whether you're faced with a saber-toothed tiger, right? It's just sending a signal to your body because it's trying to save your life. And so when those signals are the mitochondria now picks that up, and starts to think, oh, are we in danger? Do I need to start, shut down um, function? Do I need to activate immune system? Because our mitochondria is also at attached or associated with our immune system. It can activate immune system and trigger inflammation. And that's one way it protects us, right? Immune system activation protect us from danger. Um, but over the long term, that can have damaging effects because if you don't stress, you know, normally if we are faced with a, a, an immediate danger like a saber-toothed tiger, once we run away and survive, we're not stressed anymore, right? So that switches off and everything goes back to normal. But in modern day life, we, that never switches off. We're always stressed. We're stressed 24-7. And, you know, that then sets up for chronic inflammation. And that, again, is orchestrated partly by the mitochondria activating our immune system. Oh, so interesting. So what are your suggestions for managing stress? Do you have favorites? Yes, I have a lot of favorites. So, you know, I love meditation, but I know not everybody can meditate. Uh, my husband, for example, he just cannot sit down to meditate. <laughs> so I find something like real tangible things for him to do. So like just slowing down your breath physiologically shuts down that stress response right so for him there i i bought him this thing that he blows out of his like a, a tube so it extends your exhale so you breathe in and you extend your exhale to like 10 seconds and that automatically balances your nervous system that's a really simple trick to do but if you want to kind of take that further you can do breath work um, so, you know, people like Wim Hof, I don't know if you know, heard of mm -hmm. him, like he's really famous for, do, you know, doing breath work and that, you know, that can actually have real physiological effects on our body to stress, to switch off that stress response. Yeah. Breath work is so good and so simple to do. You can do it while you're driving carpool around town, you know? You don't have to be exactly. at some, you know, I don't know, some salon or gym or something to do it. You can do it yeah, anywhere. Exactly. So. Okay, so yeah. I'm actually curious to know some things that can help mitochondria. So I'm really curious, are there foods that support the mitochondria and help the mitochondria? Absolutely. Um, well, the mitochondria is like kind of like the factory, right? It needs a lot of ingredients to make up the final product. So we get that from food. So things like vegetables provide the minerals, the B vitamins that we need, leafy greens, great. Um, source of B vitamins, magnesium that we need um, for mitochondria to work properly. Omega-3 is another really important class of nutrient that we need to build those healthy mitochondrial membranes. Your colored vegetables, right? Eating the rainbow is really important because every single color represents a different phytochemical. And these phytochemicals are uh, compounds that the plant uses to fend off uh, predators, right? And but when we eat them, it activates the, the antioxidant system in our bodies, which in turn then can, and can protect our mitochondria. So eating a, a balanced diet that's 
rich in plants, different colored plants, healthy fats, uh, high quality protein. That's kind of like the basis to start and reducing inflammatory oils, reducing refined sugars. So that's what I would do with diet. But, you know, we also talked about sleep, right? So prioritizing sleep, making sure that, you know, at least an hour before bed to reduce your exposure to blue light. If you must be on your laptop or phone, wear blue blocking glasses. But ideally, just, you know, if you can stay away, I know it's really hard. Try to just, you know, not use it at all. And also dim the lighting in your house, right? So some people have like blazing spotlights in the in the living room until 10 p.m., those light can actually also push back your melatonin production and mm. affect your sleep. Um, so you want to, you know, if you can, you can switch your light bulbs to red light. So I, I do that in my be bedroom. So my bedroom is red at night. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's that's another a way to boost and support our mitochondria is um, sleep and then stress reduction we also talked about. So those are an environment, avoiding environmental toxins. That's really, really important because you, if you don't damage it as much, you don't need to put in so much, right? And then we can also talk about things that really support the growth and function of our mitochondria once it's damaged. Like once it's damaged, you know, I talked about how we lose 10% per, per decade of mitochondria. Can we get that back? And, you know, there is research to show that we can get some of it back with things like, well, you talk about a lot. I love that every weekend you post your exercise stories. Mm -hmm. Exercise is so good for us because it's a trigger for us to grow more mitochondria back. So when we put stress into our bodies, good stress like exercise and not too much exercise, right? The right amount of exercise, we can actually trigger something called mitophagy, which is, um, you know, the not so healthy um, cells mitochondria dying and then growth of new fresh mitochondria and you know going back to what you were saying earlier about how our struggles make us stronger that's kind of like how it works that's how exercise works is what we call hormesis hormesis basically means when you put a stress into the body what you get out is you know more resilience from the body oh i love that analogy and so I always get this question though, when I post about exercise and helping the liver or the mitochondria, whatever, is there a certain amount of time of exercise that you need to do to see the mitochondria benefits? And can you do something as simple as walking? Yeah. So it really depends on your baseline, right? Because we, we're trying to make an improvement. So if you're an athlete and you run three, four hours a day, walking probably is not going to do very much because you're looking for that stressor, mm. right? You want just a little bit of stress. Like, so you want to push yourself a little bit, but you don't want to overdo it. So if you, if you normally don't run at all, then walking, yes, definitely that can support your mitochondria. So start where you are and just make incremental improvements rather than like jumping lots of steps. Um, so yeah, it depends on where your, your baseline level is. But every time you work out, just try to push yourself that little bit more. And what I would say is if you haven't slept very well the previous night, then you don't, you don't want to push your body too hard. Because remember, we haven't cleared the stress from the previous day mm -hmm. when we haven't slept very well. And if you're adding stress in a form of exercise, then that may not actually have this desirable effect you're looking for. 
That makes sense because some uh, mornings when I wake up to go to the gym, if I'm just exhausted or I feel like I haven't gotten a good night's sleep, it's terrible to go to the gym. I feel like I can't do anything. And so I'm like, no, today's a day of rest. Yeah. We're, we're going back to bed. So yeah, exactly. that makes sense. And also, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, when you haven't slept enough, have you noticed like you have more sugary cravings? Mm -hmm. Like you want more sugary foods? Uh, I definitely noticed that and a lot of people do. And that goes back to melatonin. Melatonin actually helps the production of uh, energy from, from carbs. So when we don't have enough melatonin, the carbs that we're eating is not generating enough energy for us. So the body's like, well, go and eat more carbs because oh. there's not enough energy. Oh, that's it's so interesting. So, so interesting. So then yeah. you saying that mitochondria can play a role in our um, weight loss then? Absolutely. It's crucial in weight loss, actually. And, you know, that's why yo-yo diets and, uh, you know, dieting alone just doesn't work because you know, if at the crux of the matter is mitochondria not working to firstly metabolize and break down your food into translating into energy properly. Um, and also detoxification plays a huge part in weight loss uh, as well, because mitochondria plays a huge role in detoxification. And we know that certain env environmental toxins like phthalates, BPA can actually be associated with weight gain. So if you're not detoxifying properly, these toxins are staying in your body and they usually stay in a fat. And, you know, there's a theory that, you know, we hold on, the body holds on to fat because we're trying to hide these toxins away from the major organs because the fat is inert, right? The body can't get to it. Um, so yeah, we, weight loss and mitochondrial function is, is very deeply intertwined. That is so interesting because out in the like diet culture, weight loss world, you would never hear about mitochondria or removing toxins in the fat cells. You just no, hear about the no. calories and in, calories why, out. Right. And that's why um, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's a billion, billions of dollars, you know, sector because people, you know, they may drop the weight temporarily, but then if they haven't eliminated the toxins properly, the, the, the weight comes back up on and then they need to go buy the diet pills again and it just you know it's just a, a repeating uh, process until you get to the root and if you do that then you you can then see more permanent weight loss yeah so fascinating okay i want to actually talk to you about red light because you have created the loom box which i have which i love teach my followers what the red light box is or what red light therapy is and how that affects the mitochondria Yes, thank you for asking. So I one thing I did not mention, which actually helps the mitochondria a lot is light. Um, I did mention it in terms of melatonin and sleep, but light is actually a nutrient that most of us are deficient in now, because I think the EPA says something like Americans spend 90% of our times indoors. So we're not seeing light as much as our ancestors. And that's what we're physiologically kind of program to receive is light during the day. And we're not seeing that anymore. And light is not only important for things like vitamin D production. It's also, you know, the different segments and wavelengths and light. So for example, red light can actually penetrate through the skin and reach the mitochondria in the bodies. And when it does that, it can activate the mitochondria. So inside a mitochondria, 
there's actually a receptor for light called cytochrome C. When you are exposed to light, so daylight has the full spectrum, right? You have red light inside. So when you go outside into daylight, the red light component can actually travel through the skin into your mitochondria and activate this receptor to help it make more energy, more ATP. Not only that though, red light is actually also a hormesis, a stressor, um, much like exercise. Mm. So by getting just the right amount of light, you know, so not too much light where you get sunburn or, you know, you increase your risk of skin cancer, but getting some sunlight, a healthy amount can actually produce a stress on in your mitochondria to now produce more mitochondria. And, and that's actually another way red light can benefit mitochondria. So I didn't realize how beneficial this modality is. I didn't even know about it until my dad was bedbound uh, with a muscular condition called piriformis syndrome a few years back. And I had read about red light in tendonitis and muscle issues. And he was so desperate, like he was on medications and he was bedbound and, you know, taking lots and lots of painkillers and nothing worked. He was still bedbound. So I flew home and I brought my red light therapy machine with me. He actually got better after a couple of weeks. Wow. It was incredible. So like after, you know, after you see the transformation, your own family member in front of your eyes, you start to like really dig into the research. And that's when I realized like there's actually 2000 plus articles published on red light in PubMed for health benefits ranging anything from collagen productions or anti-aging to uh, muscle recovery, to energy levels, to inflammation, brain health, <laughs> so much. And again, the reason why it's like, you know, I hate these like miracle drugs that like claims to cure everything. But the reason why red light can do all of that is because it's hitting at that root cause, the mitochondria, which is in every single cell. And that's why it can, you know, div deliver so many benefits. That is so fascinating. Everything that you said, I've never thought of us lacking light as a nutrient. You know, I talk about lacking minerals and lacking certain vitamins, especially B vitamins, D vitamins, but I don't talk about lacking light. So I'm going to have to start talking about that yes. more on my site. So let me ask you a few questions about red light, because I have started to use your box that you sent me, which is amazing. My husband had an accident on a one wheel and it was all scraped up and stuff. And you had said, oh, use the red light on it. It will heal quicker, which it did. And we've had yeah. a shoulder injury. Oh. I've had a pulled muscle. Yeah. We've used it for multiple things. So tell my listeners, do you have to use it for a certain amount of time per day for it to be effective just once a day? Like, how does that work? I love that question. So <clears throat> because I said that it's uh, also, it can also be a stressor like exercise, right? And just like how you don't want to exercise too much, you also don't want too much red light. So you need actually very little for it to deliver benefits, but it, a lot depends on what you're trying to treat. Because remember, light has to penetrate through skin, right? So if you're trying to treat the skin, which is on the surface, you don't need very much, especially with Loombox, because I couldn't find a portable device that's powerful enough. Um, like I'm so busy, I don't want to be sitting in front of the light for 15 minutes. I wanted something powerful. I can just sit in front of it five minutes and get benefits. So I expect it to be super powerful. And so 
if you're trying to treat the skin, you need only five minutes um, and you want to hold it like a distance away from you because you want the light to land on your skin. But if you're trying to treat deeper tissues, so like joints or muscles, now you need that red light to penetrate deeper, right? And so you want it closer to you and you want to hold it for longer because you know, every time you're getting deeper into the tissue, there's less and less light getting down to that tissue. So, you know, if you're trying to treat deep, deeper tissues, use it for longer. If you're trying to treat surface issues, you don't need so, so long. And how many times kind of depends also on what you're trying to do, right? So for anti-aging, I use it on my face every morning and I only do five minutes once a day and that's it. When I used it too much, like I, when I first kind of learned about red light therapy, I was doing like half an hour, mm. <laughs> like get rid of my wrinkles. Um, but it did, it backfired, it made my skin drier. Um, but if I'm trying to treat my, you know, shoulders or muscle aches, I would keep it on me for longer. You know, I'll do the full 10 minute cycle. Um, and the research really shows that, that you can't overdose too much, especially with a, a small device like Bloombox. If you're doing like the full body panels, like, you know, the pro athletes do. Yes, if you do too much of that, you can actually overdose, like you can actually trigger inflammation because you're putting too much stress, like you're exercising too much basically. But with a little box like Bloombox, you're treating one area of your body. Um, it's actually quite hard to overdose. So it's, it's just generally being found to be very, very safe in the literature. And I'll tell you something that's super interesting as well. There was a study that I saw where they only treated, so like using something like, you know, small, like Lumbox, they only treated the back of um, people with back pain. And after a few weeks, those people actually had an improvement in their mood as well. And of course, I know like if you're in back, if you have back pain, you're going to not feel good. But now that what they're proposing is that even localized light has a general a systemic effect on the rest of your body because it's lowering inflammation, which can then benefit your whole body. And like you always talk about, inflammation can trigger things like you know depression, anxiety, mood disorders, right? So inflammation, lowering that can actually also help with a lot of different symptoms. Oh, I love that you mentioned that because I do say that depression has a lot of root causes and a lot of alternative therapies could help, but it's really good to know that red light might be a great option for people who are dealing with mental health issues. So thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you another question about red light therapy for the skin. Like you were saying, anti-aging, I always hear that it helps produce more collagen, but if we're sending light to the mitochondria for more energy, mm-hmm. how does that affect collagen? Yeah, so it's activating. So inside the cells in the skin also has mitochondria, right? So when you activate that, that's, you know, making the fibroblasts. Fibroblasts are the cells that make collagen in the skin. It's activating those fibroblasts to now make more collagen. And that's how it works. There's a lot of different mechanisms as well. Um, Some people actually also say that when you prime your skin with red light in the morning, and that's why I use it in the morning for my skin, you can actually, um, by triggering the antioxidant response from the mitochondria, you can actually protect your skin from damage later on. Now, I'm not saying go out without sunscreen, still wear your sunscreen, but it's a really interesting how, you know, it may be helping our defense against stresses outside like light. And we know that UV damage 
can cause aging, right? It breaks down collagen. So maybe, you know, there's a little part of that, which is by protecting us against that UV damage, we can also help with anti-aging effects. Oh, that's really interesting. So, so many benefits to this red light therapy. So it almost sounds like to me that almost all people could benefit from supporting their mitochondria or working on their mitochondrial health and could also benefit from red light. Yes. I mean, there are some contraindications to red light. So if you're pregnant, I would definitely not uh, put red light directly on your belly. You know, if you're very photosensitive, like so some people react to light. Uh, so there are contraindications to check with your doctor. But yeah, like, I mean, I just, I feel like it's such a useful tool that it should really be in every household, uh, like in the, you know, in the first aid box, because it's the first thing I get out when my kids come home, like, oh, mom, I've scraped my knee or I twisted my elbow playing tennis, you know, all those things. My daughter actually uses it for, for acne prevention as well. So, <laughs> so there's so many different uses. That's so good to know. Yes, so many issues. Okay, so I have another question about mitochondrial health for you, just because I know my listeners will ask, so I'm going to ask you. They always want to know if there's supplements out there that can help. Is there anything out mm. there they can buy or not really? Yes, and a lot of it depends on what's damaging your mitochondria, honestly, but um, just kind of as a general thing, CoQ10 is probably the most well-known. Um, a lot of people know that CoQ10 can help maintain that membrane in the mitochondria. Uh, the only thing is that it's the bioavailability. So like whether it gets in to the mitochondria is another question from supplements. So I like a, a brand called MitoQ. I have no affiliation with them, but that's the brand that I generally have my clients take if they need it. D-ribose is another one that can help with energy production in the mitochondria. And then you just want to make sure you're fixing any nutrient deficiencies. So like if you're deficient in B vitamins, magnesium, zinc, all of those play a role as well. And then there's carnitine. Carnitine actually helps mitochondria break down fat. So, you know, some people, because their mitochondria doesn't work properly, they can't break down fat very well. So, you know, you know how people get hangry, like mm -hmm. they get really irritable, irritable, when they're hungry, when their blood sugar drops, well, it's because the mitochondria can't break down fat to produce energy. So that person is reliant on carbs constantly for energy. Whereas like normally in, you know, we're, we're designed to be able to fast, right? So when we don't eat, what does the body do for energy? We're breaking down fat. But if your mitochondria can't work properly, you're not breaking down fat, fat when you're fasting and you get irritable. And a lot of people don't, they wake up in the night because their blood sugar is dipping because the body can't break down fat. So fatty acid um, metabolism is how can be helped by carnitine. And then there's uh, things like alpha lipoic acid, which is a really super potent antioxidant that can protect your mitochondria from, from damage as well. So those are kind of like the general, like uh, what a lot of functional medicine doctors use. But I like to tailor supplements to that, you know, an individual who who needs them. So not all, not everybody has, needs supplements. And if you address a lot of the things that we talked about earlier, like removing the things that damage and supporting with sleep, light, exercise, food, you can actually improve your mitochondria function a lot. 
And so will people feel the improvements? They'll just feel like they have more energy or less fatigue, less brain fog, things like that. Yes, yes. And I hear that over and over again. And I even have some clients who work with me for something else, like they come to me for lead toxicity. And after, you know, we work together, she's, you know, they say, oh, I didn't even realize I was so brain fogged before. Like my brain is so much clearer now, but I had lived with that for so long. I didn't even realize that I was brain fogged. Right. So yeah, you just start to notice like, hey, life didn't have to be that way. Like, I find this all so interesting. I really think that mitochondria health might be the missing piece in a lot of things because just as you were talking about like being hangry, we laugh about that all the time because I've got teenage boys who are hangry if they don't eat after a while. So now I'm going to tell them they need to uh, work on their mitochondria health. So this is all really, <laughs> really fascinating to me. So I'm curious these listeners, if they're listening to this podcast and they're like, oh, wow, I've got fatigue, hormonal issues or depression, whatever. I really need to start working on this. Do you suggest just jumping in and doing all the things that we've talked about one little step at a time? I mean, where do they start? That's a great question. So I think it all, again, depends on where they're at. So a lot of people with mitochondrial dysfunction, when they're really sick, they can't do a lot of things like, you know, telling someone who's really tired to go out and buy rainbow colored vegetables is really hard for them. So everybody needs to kind of start where they can, like just think about the very next thing that is easy for you to do, right? And it may just be going out into the sunlight first thing in the morning, right? When you wake up, go out into the sunlight, or it may be you know, uh, sleeping better, not not using your devices at night so much, uh, or wearing blue blockers. And, you know, if you can afford to get a loom box. Um, so it really depends on where you're at. But there's some really simple things like, you know, if you are not exercising yet, go for a walk tomorrow, you know, it doesn't have to be half an hour, just do five minutes. And, you know, there's, there's a, actually a really simple thing that I do to help my mitochondrial function that I want to share with you, um, which is breath. We talked about breath work earlier, but there's research showing that breath holding actually can stimulate mm. like a stress again, just like red light, just like exercise, right? So if you can't do red light, if you can't do exercise, do some breath holding exercises. And so, you know, it's, it's what I learned from Wim Hof actually. And so you, you know, you breathe in and out, like do really deep breaths in, really deep breaths out five to 10 times to like kind of blow off the, the carbon dioxide. And then you hold your breath. And I wouldn't do it like if you're, if there's any, if you're having lung issues or if you have, have any nose airway issues, but if you have no medical issues, you, you can hold your breath until you feel like you can't do it anymore. And then you can hold for a few seconds more and then release. So, cause that few seconds more is the stressor on your body. And that in itself can actually trigger mitochondria um, to function better. So those are some like really easy steps. And a lot of your listeners are very educated, I know. So some of them may already be doing that. So beyond that, there's, you know, also like sauna is another stressor to the body, right? So heat, cold, you've been, I think you, I saw you went on in, um, in dead cryo yep. recently. So yeah, so cold is another stressor. So, you know, just like trying to incorporate different stresses, good stresses, like in small amounts into our lives can actually help stimulate the mitochondria to, to work better. 
That is so good to know. I have loved learning so much from you today. And I love the philosophy of just start where you're at and do something a little bit more. It's not telling everybody, oh, you've now got to eat all of a rainbow of vegetables today and you have to be at the gym tomorrow, you know, start where you're at. So I love that philosophy. <laughs> and I love that there's so many different things out there that can help your mitochondria. And really it's living a healthy lifestyle that's going to affect your mitochondria the most. And they are the root to everything it sounds like. So treat them well is what it sounds like. Yeah, so a lot of the tips that you share already that they're, they're mitochondrial supporting tips and you know they work because they're fundamentally supporting the mitochondria so yeah it's amazing when you get to the root you can actually uh you know create so many benefits across the board it's not just like oh i eat color rainbow vegetables for my liver health and detoxification no it's also helping your mitochondria helping your brain health helping to lower inflammation so it's it's kind of like you know you can get multiple effects with one hit I love that so much. I know my listeners have learned so much from you today. I think we could do a part two on this because I still have a lot of questions and I would love it. Yeah, we'll have to do that for sure. So thank you so much for being yes. here today. Tell my listeners where they can find you. Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm on Instagram. My handle is at plateful health, P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L dot health. I also have a website, so I have a blog with lots of information, and it's www.plateforhealth.com. And if you're looking for Loombox, the, uh, I gave your listeners a very special discounted link. So I think I can, we can put that in the show notes. But the official website for Loombox is www.theloombox.com. But don't buy on the website because Carolyn has a very special discount for you guys. Love that. And then also you do an amazing detox course that I've heard amazing things about. So you guys, if you want to learn about opening up your detox pathways and what we should detox from and maybe issues that you're having, um, Dr. Viv has a great, it's a six week course, right? Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. So um, when I went through detox myself, detoxing from mercury toxicity, I realized there's so much misinformation products that don't work and actually made me feel worse. So that's why through my years of research, I kind of amalgamated everything I knew into a course, like how to actually support your detox organs the right way instead of just relying on supplements. Um, it's a six week course. So I actually teach um, how the liver works, how the kidneys and all the different organs work like specific foods, but making them really delicious that support your detox organs. And then, you know, on, on a daily basis, my hope is that my students can then implement these into their daily lives. So they're not detoxing only once a year, we should be detoxing every day, right, given how many exposures we're exposed to. So yeah, it's, it's open right now until September 21st. And then I open twice a year. So there's a wait list. The URL for that is uh, www.jointetoxright.com. Love it. I love all that you are teaching and providing people um, about health and nutrition. So many amazing things you're teaching people. So you guys, if you don't follow her on social media, go follow her at, like she said, Plateful Health, and you will learn something new every day. She is a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for being here, Dr. Viv. But before you go, I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. 
what would you say it is? I think it's love. I know it sounds corny, <laughs> cliched, but after the last two years, I really feel like we need more love in this world. And we, not, we need to love each other more, have more compassion for, you know, the difficulties that we're going through, like behind closed doors. Like on social media now, I see a lot of people arguing over like, what's the best diet? Like, don't eat fat, don't eat this. <laughs> no, like we all have the same goal. We just want what's best for ourselves, right? And for our families, friends. And, you know, we can work with each other and learn from each other. So yeah, I, I think love, we need more. We need to love more, love each other more. I so agree with you. And someone once told me we need to love more as a nation as a society, as a community, as families, and as individuals. And I was like, that is so true. Plus, loving others yeah. is just as important as it is to love ourselves. And so um, I would agree with you. And I think that at love and compassion is actually also good for our mitochondria. So oh. <laughs> the brain will be sending the good chemicals, right, to tell the mitochondria, hey, it's safe. Like, you can work really well and produce lots of energy. So, oh, I love yeah. that. We could do a whole uh, episode on emotions and how that affects the mitochondria. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Viv, for being here today. Like I said, I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have learned a lot. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.